This is Faye Hartman, and you're listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us, a podcast series brought to you by American Rivers. If you were to look at a graph of natural flows for most rivers in Colorado, they would likely resemble a camel's hump, mapping the way the flows of a river change throughout the year. In the spring, when snow melts, we see a peak. During the summer, the river dips into lower flows. And during monsoon season, rivers tend to peak again. Finally, during winter, as ice surrounds snow-capped stones, there's another dip. These ebbs and flows are critical to the health of the river, the species that rely on them, and the ecosystem services they provide. Take, for example, the way willows and cottonwoods rely on flood flows to distribute their seeds or how native trout populations wait for low flows to lay their eggs on cobbled river bottoms. As human demands for rivers have increased, many rivers in Colorado no longer have a natural hydrograph. Year-round demands on rivers for municipal drinking water, agricultural production, and recreation have changed the way that rivers flow. When flows get too low in a river, headgates don't work as well, fish suffer, And rafting looks more like dragging your boat. When there's less water, it moves more slowly, and these low flows can often translate to warmer water. But keeping water in the river isn't quite as simple as turning on the tap. In 2002, the city of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, was faced with a dwindling and threatened Yampa River. And on their journey of how to get more water in the river, they found out just how critical complicated, and necessary keeping water in the river can be. Join us today on We Are Rivers as we learn more about Colorado's in-stream flow program. The Yampa River is one of the last wild rivers in the western U.S. It's almost completely free-flowing, pausing briefly for a pair of storage reservoirs high in the watershed. Because of its natural hydrograph, The Yampa is a critical tributary of the Colorado River. For 250 miles, the Yampa provides habitat for aquatic life. It supports anglers and boaters. It provides water that flood fields to grow hay and alfalfa. When the 2002 drought dropped flows to just 17 CFS, the Yampa Valley's dependence on the river came into sharp focus. And this laid the groundwork for innovative partnerships to enhance the river's diminishing flows in 2012. So the city of Steamboat Springs is incredibly dependent upon the Yampa River that flows through it. In addition to that, we're at the confluence of nine tributaries. We have a lot of water in our community. And that water not only provides drinking water, it provides solution for our wastewater discharge or treated wastewater discharge, but it also provides recreational opportunities, particularly with fishing, boating, and tubing. And frankly, a lot of people come to Steamboat Uh, to enjoy the Yampa River. So all of those things are so important. But most importantly uh, to our community as a whole, especially if you factor in our wildlife community, is the ecosystem services that the Yampa River provides. Um, You know, the Yampa is uniquely healthy. It has one of the last relatively natural 
hydrographs, and by hydrographs I mean the rate of flow. So because we don't have big dams that take water out of the Yampa and send it to another basin, we still have quite a bit of our native flow. And that's really helped to maintain what we would call those ecosystem services um, on the Yampa River. That was Kelly Romero-Heaney, Water Resource Manager for the City of Steamboat Springs. She manages the city's portfolio of water rights. She monitors and helps make management decisions regarding the Yampa River, and she works to help the public better understand the Yampa. Many of her responsibilities are done in partnership with individuals and organizations across the Yampa Valley and the state of Colorado. The 2002 and 2012 droughts highlighted the economic impacts of low flows in the Yampa and how it impacted all water users in the Yampa Valley. In 2002, river sports shops closed their doors, and there was a voluntary ban on angling to protect vulnerable and dying fish. Farmers and ranchers also felt the impacts, as less water in the river increases challenges associated with raising cattle and crops. The drought of 2012 posed similar challenges to the community. However, an important partnership among diverse water users bolstered flows in the Yampa River that prevented history from repeating itself. Back in 2002, Colorado as a whole experienced a terrible drought, and the Yampa River through Steamboat dropped to 17 CFS. And to put that in perspective, in most years, it doesn't dip below 100 CFS. We saw our aquatic life impacted, our agricultural and municipal water supplies were impacted. Really, the river was so low. Fast forward to 2012, we had a similar snowpack year, similar rain year, similar drought conditions. The river was dropping, got down to about 45 CFS in mid-July, and then stepped in the Colorado Water Trust, who really helped to secure um, uh, flow restoration through releases out of Sagecoach Reservoir. We'll learn more about these partners, including the Colorado Water Trust later. But for now, what you need to know is that both the Colorado Water Trust and the Colorado Water Conservation Board, or the CWCB, were critical partners in getting much-needed water into the Yampa River. There wasn't any water decreed for in-stream flow use out of Stagecoach Reservoir. So the Water Trust was able to work an agreement with both the Upper Yampa Water Conservancy District that owns Stagecoach Reservoir and with uh, the Colorado Water Conservation Board to utilize what we call the 3 in 10 lease program. So three years in 10, water that may not be decreed for in-stream flow use can be put to that beneficial use without injuring that water right. Um, so those folks partnered, made it happen. They were able to bolster flows through the Yampa by up to an additional 40 CFS, and it really helped to buffer the Yampa 2012 from the impacts of that pretty severe drought year. It's important to note that the short-term water leasing program is a part of the state of Colorado's in-stream flow program. This program, established in 1973, allows the Colorado Water Conservation Board to designate water rights to preserve or improve the natural environment of a stream. Before we dive in, a quick update on some changes that occurred while we were recording this podcast. This year, in 2020, 
after a multi-year stakeholder effort, the Colorado legislature passed a bill to expand Colorado's existing in-stream flow loan program. This happened in House Bill 201157. The bill passed through both the House and Senate with bipartisan support. The expansion of the in-stream flow loan program occurred after the interviews for this podcast were conducted. This bill expands protection of rivers without putting other water rights at risk of injury. It authorizes a targeted expansion of the loan program that makes the program more useful to water right owners and benefits Colorado's rivers and streams. Specifically, it adjusts the amount of time a user can exercise a renewable loan from three years out of 10 to five years out of 10. And it allows water right owners to renew participation in the program for up to two additional 10-year periods for a total of 30 years. In the context of the Yampa, the partners who have worked together to secure in-stream flow loans on the Yampa through the City of Steamboat would have two additional years in this 10-year period where water could be leased under the expanded program. One thing, however, is that the low flow year in the hot summer in 2012 um, did produce pretty warm stream temperatures, which put this segment of the Yampa on the EPA's 303D impaired water body list. And that has implications for um, not just the kind of overall environmental health of the Yampa, but also for anybody that has a discharge permit, like a wastewater treatment plant or something along those lines. So it really led this community to look at what is going on in the Yampa. Is it warming? How warm is it? And is there something we can do to cool it? In order to cool the Yampa and keep flows in the river, the Colorado Water Conservation Board, the Colorado Water Trust, the Upper Yampa Water Conservancy District, the City of Steamboat Springs, and Tri-State Generation leaned on water leasing innovations that spawned from the impacts of the drought in 2002. The Instream Flow Program's water leasing program made a dramatic impact on the Yampa in 2012, and then later in 2013 and 2017. The ability of the in-stream flow program to lease water in the short term is just one tool communities can use to enhance river flows. Let's hear again from Kelly with the City of Steamboat. So I think that flow restoration, um, just in general, we have to think of it in two ways, right? There's the, the intrinsic value of supporting river health because we believe in healthy ecosystems and we um, kind of cognitively recognize that that's important, but there's also the utility of it, the utility of both flow and river restoration. And I think that utility is there's a value in, again, the ecosystem services that our rivers provide. And again, a great example would be for the city of Steamboat. If we don't have a healthy river uh, moving through our community, our river is not equipped to um, a, support recreational use, both uh, the fishing and the boating, but also to receive and buffer our treated wastewater or the stormwater runoff of our communities. So the streamflow releases and the work that the Colorado Water Trust did in their partnership with Upper Yampa and the CWCB really gave us an opportunity to look at one tool, flow restoration, um, um, to see how that could help to reduce stream temperature on the Yampa River. The complexity and 
misunderstandings around the in-stream flow program and its use on the Yampa are not uncommon. Moving water is inherently complicated, especially in Colorado. And we're going to do our best to continue providing clarity and breaking down misunderstandings throughout this podcast. Stay with us. So I think across the board in, in Colorado, it's really important to focus on flow restoration. But it's different for every basin. So a basin like on the Colorado River where so much of their flow is depleted by trans-basin diversion, I mean, they're trying to do the best they can to predict how much water um, do their streams need just to survive or just to maintain a certain level of um, ecosystem health. Whereas here on the Yampa, really naturally, um, we've ha- we, we see a wide range of flows. I mean, even as we've modeled what flow looked like um, back pre, uh, the pre-human era, there, was, there were periods of low flow. Um, but I think, of course, the difference is we, we do expect more of our rivers today. We expect our rivers to work harder for us today, um, both by providing our drinking water, our agricultural use, our recreational use, um, and also to help um, buffer our, our wastewater discharge. Short-term leases from Stagecoach Reservoir were vital to the health of the Yampa River and its surrounding communities, including the city of Steamboat Springs. These types of short-term leases are a year-by-year solution. However, there are other tools available to protect in-stream flows for rivers across Colorado. And there are places where in-stream flows won't or don't make sense. The entity tasked with managing the full bevy of tools is the Colorado Water Conservation Board. And so the, the official mission is to conserve, develop, protect, and manage Colorado's water for present and future generations. And that's pretty broad, and um, the agency has evolved over time to deal with a lot of subject matter and has expertise and a broad range of programs. Um, so the in-stream flow program is one piece, one small piece of all those program areas. That was Linda Bassey chief of the Stream and Lake Protection Section of the CWCB. Her section oversees the in-stream flow program. It would take an entire series of podcasts to do justice to all the work that CWCB does. Today, we're just focusing on one slice of that pie, the in-stream flow program. Our primary job is to implement the in-stream flow program, and we have four program areas, new in-stream flow water right appropriations, Um, acquisitions of water for in-stream flow use, legal protection where we um, participate in water court cases to um, ensure protection of our decreed in-stream flow water rights, monitoring and enforcement, which um, involves installing and monitoring stream gauges and requesting administration of in-stream flow water rights um, when needed. In Colorado's semi-arid environment, water is scarce with many competing demands placed on it by an ever-increasing population. Recognizing the need to correlate the activities of mankind with the reasonable preservation of the natural environment, the CWCB is responsible for the appropriation, acquisition, protection, and monitoring of in-stream flows and natural lake-level water rights to preserve and improve the natural environment to a reasonable degree. 
While the CWCB is the only entity that can hold in-stream flow water rights, there are other entities that help work through the puzzle of putting water where it needs to be and when. Partnerships are vital to the work that we do. Um, there are only eight of us. We, we, can't, we can't get out and about talking to people as much as we'd like to, and so um, our partners help us with that. They also do a lot of legwork on the ground and, and preliminary looks at um, their recommendations to us. Um, we have several strong partners for new appropriations, um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife and Bureau of Land Management. Um, for acquisitions, our, our most valuable partner and our most frequent partner is the Colorado Water Trust. And um, I don't think we could get as much done as we do without them. And those partnerships are developed just over the years as we talk with people and they become more aware of our program and what opportunities there are to work together. And the CWCB relies heavily on partnerships with communities like the City of Steamboat Springs and organizations like the Colorado Water Trust. They're the entity that we mentioned earlier for their work on the Yampa. We are a private nonprofit organization dedicated to restoring stream flows to Colorado's rivers in need. Um, there are segments of our rivers in Colorado that don't have any water or very little. Uh, and without water in our streams and rivers, our natural environment really suffers, and so do our communities. Um, so what we do, basically, is, is use voluntary free market mechanisms to bring people together with diverse interests to try to find solutions to keep our rivers healthy. Well, we also work really close, closely with the Water Conservation Board. Um, so that's another important piece of what we do. Uh, the CWCB has the exclusive authority to hold water rights for in-stream flows, um, which includes both junior appropriations and also acquiring existing senior water rights. So that's a really important distinction for us is that we work exclusively in the acquisition program. So that's um, buying um, senior water rights. That was Karen Waxland. She worked for the Colorado Water Trust until she retired in late 2019. The Colorado Water Trust is a critical partner in many water transaction deals across Colorado, including work on the Yampa. The Colorado Water Trust and the Colorado Water Conservation Board helped develop the creative short-term solution for in-stream flows on the Yampa River. Leasing is just one part of the in-stream flow program that's implemented by the CWCB. There are numerous other tools in the program, some that are designed for longer-term solutions. We'll hear from Karen again for more details, and we'll work through them together. We have basically four types of tools, or essentially legal mechanisms to give water in-stream and then protect it there. And what I mean by protect the water in this context is um, once we get the water in the river, you, you need to protect it from diversion from, from other people so it will actually stay in the river. Um, and there's iterations on these, but I'll just, to get a general understanding, just talk about these four basic types of tools. Um, so the, the quickest and easiest is a loan or lease of water to the Colorado Water Conservation Board for in-stream flow. So uh, under this tool, um, a water right can be leased uh, for three out of 10 years. That tool has, has a few limitations. 
unfortunately, besides the three and 10 year term, um, it can only be put in place um, and used where there's already an existing in-stream flow right present and the in-stream flow water right is short. So another benefit, there's many benefits, of course, from all of these, but specific to this tool, um, there are also protections against abandonment of the water right and also that it will not suffer a reduction in historical consumptive use during the term of the lease. Um, basically means it's free from the use it or lose it pressures. While leasing in stream flows are a short-term solution, the passing of Colorado's House Bill 2011-57 earlier this year is an important step in furthering the benefits the loan program provides. This bill expands the in-stream flow leasing program in two main ways. First, House Bill 2011-57 adjusts the amount of time a user can exercise a renewable loan from three years out of 10 to five years out of 10. And it also gives water right owners the ability to renew participation in the program for up to two additional 10-year periods. Secondly, the bill provides flexibility by allowing renewable loans to be made that improve the natural environment. And that's based on biological and scientific water needs assessments that are conducted by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Previously, the program limited loans to the minimum amount of water required to preserve the environment to a reasonable degree. This prohibited parties from voluntarily loaning larger amounts of water. The new flexibility that's provided in House Bill 1157 is really great for rivers and for communities, while also benefiting the voluntary participants in the in-stream flow program. Leasing in-stream flows are considered short-term solutions. Now we'll hear about a longer-term solution, water acquisitions. It seems like a good time right now to remind listeners that one of the reasons the in-stream flow program works is that participation is voluntary. Participants in the water acquisition program, whether it's short-term or long-term, can decide if they want to participate in the program. Additionally, participants are compensated for their water, whether it's a temporary lease or a permanent sale of water rights to the CWCB. The, uh, another tool is basically a permanent sale or donations. It's nice to get a donation of a water right. Um, so this is uh, essentially a full-blown change of use, a permanent change of use um, from whatever the water right was used for uh, to in-stream flow use. It's, uh, it's no different than changing, say, an agricultural water right to a municipal water right or industrial water right. Um, we go through the same water court process, and we have an added layer of approval, and that and that is it. Uh, that transaction also gets approved by the CWC board. So we launched in 2018 um, a water acquisition program with the CWCB. So what it does basically is invites water right owners to submit offers of water to the CWCB for in-stream flow use. Um, we're in the second year of that program um, this year. And what it is really is a front door for water right owners to explore whether or not their water rights can be used to benefit streams, and, and even if it works for them, because it may not. Then there's also uh, long-term leases. So those are similar to really the permanent 
sale or donation um, because they are permanent changes of use you know, rather than a temporary change of use. And so they go through the same scrutiny as a permanent uh, transfer. Um, those long-term leases are typically for a period of, say, 10 years, something long enough to you're going through a lot of expense um, and trouble. And so that you do want to get, get your bang for your buck on that. And then finally, there's one more tool. This is actually outside the CWCB's and Street Grow program, and it's called a water conservation plan. Um, and what it does, it allows a water user to forego or reduce his or her diversions, um, leaving water in the river. Um, a water user can actually do that anyway, but by enrolling in a water conservation plan, the water rights protected from uh, that diminishment in historical consumptive use when it's used for this purpose. One last thing I, I want to mention about these tools, they're surprisingly flexible to meet the needs of the water user. They can be temporary, as we've talked about, they can be permanent. Um, they can even be split season use, uh, which is something that we've done, and that's where uh, the water user can use the water, say, for irrigation at the beginning of the season, and then when stream flows get real low, they can uh, lease the water to the CWCB and put the water back in the river. Um, it's, it's surprising what can be worked out. We've leaned a lot on the Yampa to illustrate how the in-stream flow program and its tools can be used. But as you might imagine, Linda has other unique and innovative examples of how the in-stream flow program has worked across the state. We have a, a temporary lease with a, a ranch on Tomichi Creek for the Coates Brothers Ditch. And this is a great example of how um, water sharing can occur between agriculture and the natural environment. It's a split season arrangement where um, the water rights owner irrigates. They can decide under our, our lease agreement to, to, to stop irrigating either July 1st or August 1st. And then from that point on, we are able to use that water um, to help supplement our in-stream flow water right on Tomichi Creek. Um, that is a 10-year, we have a 10-year agreement and we have used it one year out of that 10-year period. So every year we check back in with the water rights owner and that um, we jointly decide on, on whether we'll exercise the lease that year based on their need for the water for irrigation and whether we think that water will be needed to supplement the in-stream flow. So um, an example of a permanent acquisition that we did is of the Bream Ditch and that is in the Gunnison River Basin. We worked with the Colorado Water Trust and with the um, Skyland Metropolitan District. The Water Trust purchased a, an irrigation water right, and the CWCB, the end result is that the CWCB uses it uh, for in-stream flow protection in Washington Gulch and on the Slate River down to a point where then the Metro District diverts it for municipal uses. So it's got a lot of uses, multiple benefits, but we ended up uh, ended up with increased flow protection on, on two streams, including the Slate River through Crested Butte, which is um, important for that community. The complexity of Colorado water law 
create some confusion about how the in-stream flow program fits into the broader context. The in-stream flow program follows Colorado water law. Therefore, any appropriated in-stream flow water right follows prior appropriation, and any new water rights are junior to those existing senior rights. Additionally, the in-stream flow acquisition program is a voluntary program that often benefits multiple users. However, there's still some confusion about how in-stream flow rights are implemented and the impacts it might have on water users. I want to spend just a few minutes clarifying some of these confusions. Um, so I think one misconception of the in-stream flow program is that um, it is somehow uh, outside of the water law or the water court process. Because in-stream flow water rights are administered in the state's water rights priority system, like every other type of water right in our state, um, they do not injure existing water rights. In-stream flow water rights follow the same water right system as every other beneficial use. An in-stream flow right protects a specific amount of water in a specific reach of a given stream. Well, one, one piece of terminology that, that we have heard used in relation to a new in-stream flow appropriation is the word taking. And they say that we're taking water. And we don't see it that way because we are protecting water in a reach. In-stream flows are for specific segments of river within Colorado that are explicitly defined. Um, so to get those in-stream flow water rights, you have to demonstrate that the water is needed, just like any other water right. Um, and then you have to define the segment where that water is needed. And once it leaves that lower terminus, it's available to other water rights for diversion. Um, so you know, the in-stream flow program is, is really meant to benefit Colorado and its environment and communities. As we as water users hear more examples of in-stream flows and the benefits they provide for multiple users, including communities, agriculture, and the environment, they'll be better understood. And while in-stream flows are a critical tool for protecting rivers while simultaneously supporting other uses, it's not a one-size-fits-all program. And so to date, um, our, our statistics show there's about there's a little bit under 40,000 miles of perennial streams in Colorado. We have in-stream flow water rights on 9,600 miles of stream. So that's about 24%. I don't have a number on how many rivers, but just in terms of miles, um, that gives you an idea. And um, it's never been our goal to have an in-stream flow wa water right on every stream. And um, that's another myth, maybe. <laughs> we don't have a target out on every stream. But, you know, we, we work to achieve our recommenders' natural resource protection goals and, and strategize on how to, how to best do that. The um, in-stream flow program provides significant benefits to communities. Um, they either can benefit collaterally if, if we've happened to appropriate an in-stream flow on a stream that runs through that community, or they can work with us to ensure flow protection through, through town. And that benefits economies, um, the community's economy and other economies by providing recreational opportunities, fishing, wildlife watching, um, enjoying the sight and sound of flowing water, 
And people who like to do this um, also visit nearby communities and businesses and spend money on food, lodging, buying gear and other supplies. So um, it's a pretty, it's a big ripple effect on benefiting economies. And of course, um, benefits rivers by preserving healthy habitat for all life forms that rely on flowing streams. Fish, bugs, plants, birds, mammals, everything basically. And you know, CWCB feels that healthy rivers are vital to our state's conservation efforts and wildlife and quality of life. And we're committed to maintaining stream flows um, to make those things Keep, keep on keeping on. And um, we think healthy rivers are a major part of what makes Colorado such a great place to live and work and visit and play in. As climate change continues to impact rivers and demand on an already over-allocated resource continues to grow, creative solutions that put the health of Colorado's rivers and its surrounding communities at the forefront will be more important than ever. Um, I mean, climate change is going to mean more competition, more competition for the little water that we have. It's going to get fiercer. Um, and hopefully that brings more people together um, to talk about how to meet all these competing needs. Um, so, I mean, that's at least my hope. And in these challenging times, it's important that we continue to collaborate and come up with innovative, creative opportunities to protect rivers and our communities. Thank you for listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and comment. Thank you to the interviewees that participated in our podcast today, Kelly Romero-Heaney, Linda Bassey, and Karen Wogsland. This episode was written and produced by Paige Buono and Faye Hartman, with support from American Rivers. If you want to learn more about American Rivers, you can find us on the web at www.americanrivers.org.